stay from distance. And so he wants to have proximity with you. And that's inevitably going to, the will of God is going to pull you through difficult times. We were able to glorify him in the midst of that. And as we're finding the will of God, we, we learned last week that you can't fake the marinade. You can't. You, it's got to be something that you're soaking in. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, you've got to know what the ingredients are. And we talked about last week that the ingredients are surrender, scripture, prayer, and people. That biblically, over and over, to, to, over throughout the whole of, of God's word, we see, and throughout the whole of history, we see God's people stepping up and into the will of God by surrendering to God, hearing his voice in scripture, seeking his strength in prayer, and getting that backed up with the godly people around them. So now that you know what God's will is, and as you're, you're re- recognizing it, well, one thing that we need to understand is this, what we're coming out of today with, which is we can never underestimate the power of your proximity and presence. No matter what your parents told you, no matter what you were taught throughout the course of life, your proximity, never underestimate the power of your proximity and presence. Never do it. Don't do it. Don't underestimate it. Just to this is where we're going today. But, but just to give you a, a heads up on what this is all about, power is God's power with us. It's not our power. It, it's God's power with us. Pro- proximity is the fact that God uses his power to call us close to other people, where we're not expected just to sit or just to exist, but actually to have be present in those situations to fulfill what God wants us to do in proximity with those people. So first off, let's take a look at the first word, power. Um, If you have your Bibles, again, uh, Jonah chapter 1, let's take a look at verse 4. It says this, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And which, which is interesting, if we want to pause there, it wasn't that God noticed that this tropical depression came up and, and started to rock this boat and decided to maximize on the situation. It says that God sent it. God sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Right off the top, and later on in, in the book of Jonah, it, it gives us the accounting that not only did God send the sea, the, the great storm onto the sea, but he also sent the great fish. So God's hand is in this. And the reason that it wasn't just like a random, like, okay, we're going to find some place to do this on the map right here. It was directly in result to Jonah's fleeing. God, it, Jonah can book it the opposite direction, but God is with him. He, he is absolutely with him. And so the thing that we need to know is that God's power is with us even when we're in rebellion, even when we're running in the opposite direction. God's sovereign power that's with us as believers it helps us know that not only are we not an accident— not only are you not an accident, no matter what your parents said, okay? Your parents said, yeah, you were a total, you, you were not an accident. God's sovereignty reminds us, no, you were on purpose. Regardless of what your parents told you, regardless of what your teachers told you, regardless of what your last job review told you, you are not an accident. But God's sovereignty doesn't just tell us that we're not an accident. God's sovereignty reminds us that where we are is not an accident. You are exactly right now in this moment where God has willed it. We can't veto God's will. Uh, Jonah is someone who's running away from God, but one of the things we realize about God, that he is sovereign, and that that his will can't be vetoed by our laziness, our doubt, or our sin. Now, so what that means is this. Our life is going to be one of two stories. It's actually going to be a blend, but it's going to either take the route of 
a story which is showcasing the power of God's will in a person's life who's surrendered to him and walking in step with him. And you can see the power of God in this person's life. Or it's going to be the story of a person, a Christian, who's in rebellion to God. And is the power of God is still, God's will is still going to be magnified and showcased. It's just going to be through the epic fails and the, the carnage that comes from our rebellion, whether it's in our relationships or our decisions or whatever else. Either way, God's power is going to be maximized and proclaimed. It's just really, which way are we going to, to showcase that? Which way are we going to show that to the world around us? Jonah is in the boat, and he's still possessing the power of God. And so, and again, I'm talking to a group of people here, and I know some of your stories. And I know that some of the things you've gone through have been absolutely horrendously difficult. And I know some of your stories at being this most amazing, wonderful moments. I've, I've stood in some of your, I've stood in some of your weddings. I've officiated some of your weddings. I've been to funerals with some of you. And so we, we've been in the whole spectrum of things. But God's power, his presence with us is in all of these situations. And throughout my life, I've seen that. God's, I've seen God's power when I, when, I was, um, when I witnessed a murder in my senior year in high school. I witnessed God's power was still with me in that moment. He was not gone. And I witnessed God's power when I first closed my eyes in junior high when, when they started playing a worship song. And I realized that it's more than just me singing words. It's me connecting with a very real God. And these words are helping me proclaim to him how amazing he is. I, God's power was with me. I saw God's power with me when, when um, I was held hostage my freshman year at Moody in, in Chicago and in the moments when I first asked Julie out on a date. I saw God's power with me in the greatest times and the worst times. And the things that we need to understand is that whether we're experiencing relational satisfaction or relational ruin, vocational arrival, like this is the best season of my job, or, or, or absolutely devastation, whether we're experiencing physical, like where you're at the peak physically that you've ever been, or the doctor says we, we're not sure how much longer you have, either in any of these situations, God's presence and power with us is letting us know, I am still with you. As long as you have breath, there is power in you for me. If you're in me, that is something that is still driving in your life. God's power is with us and it leads us to become aware of the fact that, of the people that are around us, which leads us to who God has called us into proximity with. Jonah has got proximity. And, and this, is a, a, this is like the, the subplot to the Jonah story. Because again, the, what we oftentimes think is that the big story is Nineveh. Jonah ultimately getting to Nineveh. But the subplot, the plot within the plot, is this boat encounter with, with these guys. Take a look at verses 4 and 5. Let's read those again. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah, Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call upon your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Never underestimate, never underestimate the power of your proximity. And then the question that we have there is the same question that Jonah had. Who is in my boat? Who is in my boat? 
And if we look at the people in Jonah's boat, um, we realize that these were not people that he chose. He didn't choose the people in his boat. There wasn't like a litmus test. Okay, um, I'm running away from God, and so I really need to make sure that we've got some people that are— let's have a religious test here. How many of you guys are walking with God? What what is your political leanings? If you could help me out with that, that'll help me make a solid choice on how I choose the boat captain and boat crew for the people that are going to take me away from God's will. No, it wasn't. He didn't choose. He didn't get a chance to have this. Uh, uh, this uh, the people in Jonah's boat were the people in Jonah's boat. He didn't get to screen them. He didn't get to have a litmus test. He simply was there. And so are you. Now, you were born in, inside of your boat. The people in your boat are the people in your family. And you may have thought at one point, like when you were in junior high or high school, I can't wait to get out of this boat. I cannot wait. I'm going to be free. It's like a matter of years. Like a matter of years, I'm going to be like 18 years old, and I'm going to have independence. And I'm never going to have to worry about my family again. And then you realize they never get off the boat. And neither do you. The people in your boat are in your family. The people in your boat are the people that you work with. Some of these people, if you're a boss or you're, you're a manager, you can hire or fire. But in the moment, that person is still there in the boat with you. The people in your boat are the people in your neighborhood or your community. They're the people that you've grown up with. They're the people that, that, that all these people, the, all these people are people that are currently in your life. They're in this church. And even if you're not a Christian, if you're, if you're here today and you're, you're, you're like, look, I've got tons of reasons why I don't believe. I'm skeptical. I've got some serious doubts to the validity of the Bible. I'm only here really because I'm like, I, I got dragged here by my girlfriend or boyfriend or my mom or my dad. I'm just here kind of observing this church because I think that, that Christianity is a joke. I don't want more evidence to that, to that point. You, you may have, but in spite of the fact that you may not believe that there's a divine being, that there's no th- such thing as God, or, or divine orchestrated events, you, let, let's just say you have all the great re- research and intelligence to back that up, you have to admit there's something weird about the fact that God calls people together into relationship, or that something calls people into relationship, that there's something about the connectivity of, pe- of people that seems more than mere chance. And in spite of all those doubts and skepticisms and everything else, you're here today. You're here listening to this. Could that be more than just chance? And here's one thing that our proximity with everyone in our boat, just think about your world and everyone inside of your boat that you deal with. One thing that they all have in common, whether they're believers or not, is that they have something, uh, the common thread inside all of them is that every single person in all of our boats, no matter what part of the country you live in, no matter where you go, if you left Manuka today and you moved to the Ukraine or Kenya or Indonesia or Braidwood, you would find this to be the truth. And the truth is, is that the people inside of your boat are religious the problem is that everyone's religion at the core of, of most of the world religions, and I would even say some people who say that they're Christians, the baseline religion that they're serving is not God, but fear. We could look at it in these guys on the boat. Again, the people in Jonah's boat, they're not like, you know, we're just like walking through life and having epic, wonderful um, songs to our gods. You don't hear any of that. But all of a sudden, they do turn to their gods when? When the storm hits. Because that's what religious people do. God, the gods of this world are like, great, yeah, awesome. I, I adhere to them. I, I sacrifice to them. 
but they don't have any real bearing on my life until things go wrong. And then all of a sudden, in that moment, I need to clutch on to my God. And so these guys, these guys are like totally out of fear. What have we done to offend you, God? And like whatever we could do, they're trying to figure out. And they can, nothing is working. And so they go to the only other guy on the boat, who's, which is Jonah. Jonah is sleeping. He's not just sleeping, but what kind of sleep does the text say? Deep sleep. This guy is snoring away. And they go down to this guy and say, look, we've tried everything to appease the gods. Maybe your God can do something about it. Because again, that's what religious people do. We clutch onto gods when we are terrified. The fascinating thing here is that in the midst of the fact that every single one of us have people in our life who may say that they're non-religious, that I'm not about organized religion, I'm not into any of that. The truth is they are. Because religion, man-made religion, is all about fear. This thing gives me identity, and I will surrender whatever it takes for this. This job. Without this job, I am nothing. I will give and give and give and give for this job, because at the altar of this, this brings me worth and identity, and so I will religiously adhere to this, no matter what it means as far as ours, no matter what it means for my family. This relationship is everything. I need to bow at, bow at the altar of this relationship because this person brings me worth. And without this person, if this relationship broke up, if, if something took place, if this person died, I would be nothing. I am terrified of that. So I will continue to pour into this relationship. The, the amount of friends that I have, or the popularity that I have, or the power in my job that I have, or my track record, or, or my perfect family, or the image of my perfect family, or whatever. These are our gods that we clutch onto and hope that they give us life and identity. And it does until we realize that these frail things, these false gods, even when we're bowing down to them and terrified, clutching onto them in our fear, do nothing for us. And Jonah is put in proximity with those people. And Jonah serves a God who's not only fear-based because he's powerful, But what scripture says is that this God, as opposed to any other gods, is a God of love. God of justice, but a God of love as well. A God who would even be merciful with the the absolutely barbaric Ninevites. This God is a God that Jonah is called to be a witness to with the people in his boat. Which brings us to the final reality, that God calls us to express his power in proximity to other people who don't know him, and to be present. Being present um, means the fa- that we are called to do something, that we're called to step up to the plate, that we're not expected to just do, go to work or, or, or pay the bills at home and, and, or try to be a, a good parent or try to, try to be a, a, a good kid or try to be, that there's something more to life than simply just trying to um, get the gold stars and just be okay that there's something beyond that. And we see that even in this passage. Five and six says this, all the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. The, the, the amazing thing here is this. What does Jonah ultimately do? I mean, they cast lots. They realize that really he's the one to blame. And then what does Jonah voluntarily do? 
Yep. <laughs> Get chucked overboard. His presence meant something. It was, it was for something. Actually, it was so crazy because his whole thing with the whole Nineveh calling of God was to run away from heathens. So where does God's will guide him? To a ship full of heathens. He, go, he wants to run away from Nineveh because he's terrified that his life might be taken. And on the boat full of heathens, what does he do? He gives up his life for them. Pretty phenomenal. His presence meant something. His presence was actually something that, that was intended to actually step in and be a representative to, of God and the people of God to the people in our boat. And the, the truth is, is that your presence, and again, you may think of yourself as like, man, I've, I've, I've got a terrible track record. People don't trust me. I'm a hypocrite. All those things. And, and let's, just, let's just say all those things are true, Okay. Let me tell you, as someone who's looked at my own life and said, you know what, I can see the inconsistencies, I can see the hypocrisy that I've had, I can see the heavy-handedness, I've seen the ways that I have not been a good representative of God the Father to my kids as their dad, I've not been a good representation of the compassion of God to my wife all the time, I can see how over and over and over again I've done a garbagey job in, in putting that out there. This amazing God is someone who continue brings us back into his will by saying, you are not done. Never underestimate the power of your proximity and your presence. Your presence is still, no matter what you've done, your presence is still important. Yet yeah, the kids are out of the house, or you, you feel like you've made, you've done too many things, you've said too many things for this relationship to be ma- to be repaired. You you with the people at your work, you you've you've said all the dirty jokes, you've said all the language to to make it the case that that maybe you're not walking tight with God, you're not someone that they would look at as religious. So starting right now to be a representative of God, and starting right now to be a witness and actually be present with them as a present witness of God, seems like it's it's out of the question. And that let me just tell you that is a lie from Satan. That is not accurate. Never underestimate the power of your proximity and presence and realizing that the sovereign God has absolutely put you in this boat. Now one day you might be in a different job. One day this relationship that you're in may not be there. One day these kids may be out of your house. But today, today they're in your boat. Today, God's called you to capitalize on his power with the proximity that you have with these people and choosing to be present. Do you guys remember um, the ice bucket challenge? Yeah. How many of you guys, did, did anyone do that? Okay, I, I did it. My family did it. Um, I remember doing it and getting a whole bunch of pushback from friends and family of mine. Like, that's just, that's just fad activism. It's like not even real. You guys aren't even like giving any money. You're just doing this goofy thing and putting out a YouTube. Um, and, and, and everyone, is, and, and some of that is true, okay? Some of, the, some of the whole thing was just like this goofy thing of I'm gonna challenge these three people. And what, but what was the point of the ice bucket challenge? What was it trying to raise awareness for? Yeah, ALS. And, and that was something that, that was, people were trying to, get, trying to get some awareness of that. And so I remember when, when Julie and the kids and I did it, we talked about a good friend of ours, um, Rick Lee, um, who was a head deacon at this church, and he died of ALS. 
And so we said, you know, in memory of our, our good friend Rick Lee, you know, uh, we're doing this to raise awareness for, the, for ALS and, and for um, that whole, uh, that massive, horrible, horrible disease that, that there's no cure for. And, so we, and then we challenged out as many people as we could think of because we'd love to see this happen to them. And then we dumped ice on our head. And again, the, the pushback was, this, you know, the, uh, what difference is this going to make? The phenomenal thing is that it made a massive difference. Over $100 million was raised. Over $100 million was raised that went to ALS research. And in January, or in July 25th, uh, on July 25th of this year, the ALS Association announced that, thanks in part to donations from the Ice Bucket Challenge, the University of Massachusetts Medical School identified a third gene that is the cause of the disease. Boom. You know where this started? It started with a guy by the name of Pete Freitz, who was a Boston College uh, student and a baseball player. And he was playing baseball in Germany. Um, and in the, in the process of, of baseball, um, he got hit um, uh, by a pitch, and it, it screwed up his hand. And he thought that he may have uh, severely um, stra- sprained something or broke his wrist. And the doctor says, it's not a sprain. It's not, it's not sprained. They're like, well, is it broken? What's wrong with it? He's like, no, it's not broken. I don't know how to tell a, a 22-year-old this but you have ALS. The reason you didn't catch that was because your body wasn't responding quick enough. Well, what's, what do I do? What's the, what, what do I do? What do I take? There's nothing you could take. This is a degenerative disease where slowly you're going to stop being able to breathe and, and swallow, communicate, and you're gonna die a young death. He goes and he tells his family, we are not going to be the people that mourn this the way most people mourn this. We're going to make the most attention that we possibly can to make the most difference we possibly can. Friends of his started this. And his mom, who is not a um, nonprofit guru, but was a business person, understood the idea of marketing. And so she wanted to get this message out there to as many people as possible. And all of a sudden, it spread like wildfire. She was interviewed recently, and it was asked, how do you do it? I mean, your, your son can no longer communicate at this point. And bit by bit, you're watching his breathing because you know that eventually that's going to get to the place where he's going to have to be put on a ventilator, and then he's going to die. Why do you keep doing what you're doing? How, is there something special about you? And she responded, and she, she paused, and then she responded, I don't think there's anything special about me. All I know is that every day I wake up and I make a choice. And the choice I make is that this is what I am called to do to try to affect as much change as I possibly can. And she did. If you're a Christian, your calling is, is even greater than that. If you're a Christian, the truth is, is that your presence is your present. You want to know what you bring to this world? The fact that you are a witness of the divine grace given by Jesus. The fact that God is not a God that simply creates the world and walks away, but that he is actively engaged. And what this means is, is that you, you make the choice to wake up to the greatest needs. You wake up to the greatest needs of those around you, and you actively and prayerfully meet those needs in Jesus' name. The people around you, the people around you in your world, the people in your boat have needs. And honestly, most of these needs are driven out of their fear. You're someone who knows the creator of the world. Fear doesn't 
paralyze you the way it paralyzes others. It doesn't tackle you. You get afraid just like anyone else, but, but it's different because you know the sovereign God, the powerful God, who's put you in proximity with hurting people and called you to be present. Are you being present? The thing that, that, that's amazing about the Jonah account is that we, we see that Jesus was also in a boat. He was also in a boat that was battered by a storm, and Jesus was also asleep. But he wasn't asleep because he was trying to tune out the will of God. He was asleep, showing his sovereign power over the wind and the waves. And he was able to stand up and silence them with the word. And he knew that the greatest storm that was going to affect him was not a storm by wind and waves in the Sea of Galilee. The greatest storm that was going to affect him was the fact that the wrath and judgment of God was going to be put upon his body on the cross. And that he was going to absorb that storm. That as opposed to Jonah, who was running away from heathens, he was going to run towards them to save them. That like Jonah, he was going to give his life, but that he was going to rise again. Amen? We were in Jesus' boat. Before we were ever born, he had us in mind. And if you're saved, that, that, that is your story. This morning, at the 8 a.m. service, we are not having anyone physically getting baptized. We have a bunch of people over the course of this weekend, but we didn't want to cheat you out of hearing their stories. And when you hear these stories, these are people that are going to actually be baptized. A picture of the fact that we are lining ourselves up with the death of Jesus and lining ourselves up with his resurrection. That he was going to be the definition. He is the definition of our life. And we want everyone to know about it. As you're hearing their stories, I want you to take account of, is this my story? Am I connected to that story? And if it is my story, am I proclaiming that with my life? Am I being present with my coworkers? Am I being present with my family in spite of my mistakes in the past? Am I, in spite of my hypocrisy, am I, am I being present with, with what God has called me to do? There's going to be, we, we like to we intersperse worship music. I want to encourage you not just to sit, but to be present by proclaiming that with song and singing. And at the end of the whole thing, I, we should just give the Lord a round of applause just for the work he did in real people's life in our midst. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for each person here. God, I do not know where they are with you. I know where a lot of them are with you. And I give you thanks that you have redeemed them. You've saved them. But Lord, a lot of times we believe that we're saved just to get out of the storm. We forget that we're still in the boat with a bunch of people who don't know you, a bunch of people who are walking away from you, a bunch of people who are dominated by fear, not by faithfulness. And we don't know what we have to offer them. God, honestly, we're afraid. Lord, I pray that you embolden us those in this room that are Christians, those in this room that are believers, to never underestimate your power that puts us in proximity with others, that you call us to be present there. Give us the words, give us the courage. Let our lives be the worship song of your amazing grace, and we will give you the thanks for it. In Jesus' name, amen.